the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me, comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up, out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, they saw James. He saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among them saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame 
spread all throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came to her, took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed with demons. And the whole city gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I might preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. to us this morning and we thank you for it. We thank you that you speak to us through your word, God. We thank you that you make your word alive to our hearts. We thank you that this word is living and active for us today. And we ask, Lord, now that you would just tune us into what your Holy Spirit is saying through these words. May we be people who are receptive to you speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. How beautiful is it to hear the Word of God read like that. Thank you so much, Seth. I was pouring over this chapter during the week. Nathan actually said last week, we're doing a new series and I can choose something from chapter one. And I rang him on Friday and said, Nathan, I've been reading this chapter over and over and I just need to do it all. And is it okay if I take three hours on Sunday morning? He wasn't so keen on that part. Um, But I couldn't resist the opportunity just to hear that word, hear it flow like that, rather than just take out little pieces of it. I won't make you do a three hours of preaching this morning, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. Um, 
but I do want to share and just pull out some of the things that I felt like God was speaking to me and speaking to us as his people today. This account of Jesus' life is compiled by Mark, who himself was not a disciple, and we don't even think Mark was an eyewitness of Jesus. Early church tradition accepts that Mark compiled his book from his time spent with the apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Um, We um, read in history that Peter was actually in Rome in the middle of the first century. And even in this first chapter, you can see Peter's perspective coming through, can't you? He was the first disciple called by Jesus in Mark's account. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Kind of, we see these insights that Peter would have had in Mark's writing. Mark does not mince his words or get caught up in too much detail. It is a fast-paced narrative focusing on Jesus' actions and mission. Did you notice how many times the word immediately was used? I think it's used 41 times in the 15 chapters of Mark. I feel like we're kind of, you know, behind the camera of some action TV show, jumping from scene to scene, the next exciting thing about to unfold. I already mentioned it's 15 chapters. It's actually the shortest account of Jesus' life, probably because Mark doesn't seem to give much priority to the details or backstory of what's taking place. He just sticks to the facts. Here's what it is. Mark documents this account from Peter's teaching probably only about 20 years after Jesus died. It's one of the early, it's believed to be one of the earliest gospels uh, written. These are still very early days for Jesus' followers and his church. And maybe this explains some of the kingdom focus, the kingdom language, the emphasis on the victory Jesus has in the spiritual realm. He wants these readers to know and hold on to the truth of the reality of God's kingdom, which had indeed arrived in Jesus, even though the circumstances around them may not have appeared that they were under the reign and rule of God when they very much felt the oppression of the reign and rule of Rome. This was important for believers to hear in that first century and just as important for us to be reminded of and hear in the 21st century. Mark opens the book with hope. A new beginning is here in Jesus, the son of God. This is powerful in this context that Mark is writing to. There there may well have been a man on the throne in Rome calling himself the son of the gods but we are called to belong to a different kingdom where the son of God is the son of the almighty God who has come to us in Jesus, the Messiah, the savior king. This new beginning is good news for everyone. Be filled with hope. Be filled with expectation and anticipation for what is yet to come as this kingdom unfolds. This anticipation and hope for change is captured here as 
all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were heading out to be baptized in the wilderness by this wild sounding prophet called John, whose mission was to prepare the way for Jesus to come, prepare the hearts of people for this new beginning. A mighty one was coming, he says. John's ministry of repentance and confession in baptism was just by water. And he's saying, wait, just you wait until the one who comes who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Wait until you see what happens then. John prophesied of the power of the Holy Spirit the ministry of repentance and forgiveness and victory over sin and evil, which was yet to unfold in the Christ who was coming. And then in verse nine, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Sort of looks like Jesus was just one of the crowd that day, just one of the people coming out to be baptized, a rather anticlimactic entrance, don't you think, for such a rousing introduction that John gives us. But when he came up out of those waters, the new beginning is here. Immediately, did you hear this? Immediately the heavens are torn open. The other gospel accounts say the heavens just opened. But Mark says they're ripped open and I kind of get the impression of someone unwrapping a present. This wasn't a gift where they carefully undid the sticky tape like they could just put it back together and make it look like no one had opened it. This was a ripping open with great anticipation and expectation and it could never go back to the way it was before. The heavens were ripped open, Isaiah Um, prophesies this verse, oh, that you would rend the heaven and come down, he cries out to God. It is the cry for God to pour out his presence and here it is fulfilled. The heavens are rendered and God's spirit comes. The spirit of God descends on Jesus. The spirit brings this affirmation of heaven, a voice declaring Jesus' sonship. This is God's own son. And by his spirit carries the authority and power of God. And then the love and delight of God is expressed here for his son and the fulfillment of what is about to take place as the kingdom of God breaks into earth. Are you catching the excitement here, church? I just need to see a bit of excitement on your faces this morning. This is the new beginning we have been longing and hoping for. It is here in Jesus. Don't let the familiarity of these words wash over you. Hear them again as if you're reading them, hearing them for the first time this morning. Jesus' baptism is so significant here. And we still practice this act of baptism because it is so significant in the lives of believers. Yes, it represents a washing and a cleansing from sin as we receive the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. That is incredible. But there's something powerful that happens in the spirit 
in baptism too. I don't even know if I have words to explain it. But as I see people in that pool, as I stand beside them in that pool, there is something of the power and peace and presence of God that comes. It is significant as we obey Jesus in taking that step of faith. Samara, one of our young adults, is actually being baptized tonight with her sister Tiffany. Let me share the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in her story. She says, I was on a youth camp several years ago in a time of worship. I became overwhelmed and overwhelmed with awe and shame, struck with the realization of how fearful, sinful, and broken I was, yet how, just how much God loved me despite all of that. I couldn't contain my mess of tears and joy. For the first time, I began to understand the significance of Jesus' sacrifice and I was completely captivated by God's love. As I was worshiping God that night, our guest speaker came over and started to pray for me and I was bowled over by the Holy Spirit. I felt myself being emptied with all the past pain and uncertainty I was holding on to, falling away and then I was being refilled again with a new sense of purpose and hope. What an incredible story. Jesus has done that for each of us who believe in him. I'm faith-filled that Samara will encounter Jesus in a special way in that pool tonight. She'll be filled in a fresh way with the Holy Spirit as she comes up out of those waters. Mark was writing about this new beginning taking place at Jesus' baptism. And every baptism is a celebration of the Spirit's filling and anointing us for the life that he has called us to. If you haven't received Jesus and the life of his Spirit, I encourage you to ask him for it today. It's as simple as praying a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. I give you my life. Fill me with yours. Jesus loves to answer these prayers. If you haven't taken that step of baptism in your faith journey, I encourage you to talk to Jesus about it. Talk to him about it today. Don't underestimate how significant this step is and don't let fear hold you back. I love that the Holy Spirit is described here as a gentle dove, not a forceful swooping eagle. Trust that Jesus by his spirit will gently lead you. Gently guide you into each step on this journey he calls you to. And if he's prompting you now, particularly to receive him or to be baptized, then tell someone, tell someone who will encourage you to take that next step. Write it on a prayer card, send an email. Come and see the prayer team this morning. Share with a pastor, take that step of faith. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and the heavens are torn open and the spirit comes on him. And now we see the mission and action unfold. Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit is first of all driven into the wilderness into a battle with Satan. Did you hear that? Jesus is tempted and tested by his enemy 
And in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus stands in this battle. Satan is not mentioned again in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the Bible commentaries said that this was so significant because this encounter marks a decisive victory of Jesus over Satan that took place right there at the beginning of his ministry. Certainly Jesus comes across evil spirits and unclean spirits, but they are powerless and cower to Jesus' authority because that battle over evil has already been won. This is so important for us to grab hold of. Mark is writing to a people where victory is not always evident. And he's giving them a window into the spiritual reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. Our enemy is powerless to the authority of Jesus. Amen? And we can have faith to believe and stand in Jesus' victory. Stand in the truth that Jesus has overcome the powers of darkness. The enemy is still trying to undermine God's kingdom work in this world, but he is fighting a battle that is already lost. If you were in the thick of battle this morning, hear the power that is in Jesus for you today. It is so significant that our enemy is powerless because Jesus stood firm, stood fast and won that battle. Don't give up, don't give in. The Holy Spirit gives you authority over your enemy in Jesus' name. Be encouraged in the strength and power that is in you to resist the enemy. Stand firm in the battle, claim that victory. That is a word for someone this morning. Jesus comes through the battle, back from the wilderness and steps into this scene with a confidence, confidence and clarity and intentionality about the kingdom mission he is called to unfold in this world. Verse 14 of Mark chapter one says, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. That was his mission. The time of waiting is over. Now is the time for God's intervention. Salvation is here. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. There are some challenges for us, aren't there, when we hear that word repentance. Repentance is a turning from our own way to God's way. And we live in a culture that elevates ourself in a way that says the right way is to pursue what we want. The right way is to pursue our way. And it makes it very easy for us to live with a shallow view of our sin. For most of us, we don't really think we're that bad. It seems easier to blame others for the wrong in our lives than take responsibility for it. On top of that, we can be pretty resistant to change. Sin feeds the selfish part in us and can have a strong hold over us. So we just live, it, live with it. Repentance is uncomfortable. 
The word has often been used in the context of pointing out our faults in a guilt and shame provoking reprimand. Have you been on the end of one of those? You are a bad person. You need to repent. But actually we see in Jesus' proclamation, the opportunity to repent is good news. A welcome invitation extended to each one of us to respond to God's initiative to give us life. Jesus is not the older brother in the prodigal son's story, pointing the finger in disgust at our failures and sins. He's not that church. He is the father with open arms, waiting, longing for that about turn when we run to him, when we lock eyes with the love and grace in his face and experience total forgiveness, total acceptance, total freedom. Repentance is a complete turnaround. And as we let go of trying to build our own kingdom, we can embrace life as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God we were created to be a part of. That is repentance. That is what Jesus is calling us to. We only have to look at the cross for the lengths to which Jesus went to for us to experience that forgiveness, that freedom. It's available to every single one of us. Jesus says, repent and believe. You know, often we think belief is just this head kind of acceptance. Oh yeah, I believe in God. And we kind of hear that pretty often. You know, I think a lot of people in our culture kind of grow up with this acceptance that there might be a God, that there is a God. For some people, that's a huge step of faith, but lots of people just accept that as truth. But Jesus is calling us to something deeper when he says believe. He's calling us to exercise faith that is trust in who he is. Trust is an act of our will. It's a step of faith. It takes faith to believe. It takes humility and vulnerability to trust, which is why we often find it hard to do. I find this distinction really interesting on people's faith's journeys. People can know God, but Jesus is inviting them into a personal relationship with him. That is a big step from just believing that there's a God. We enter the kingdom by repenting and believing the gospel. This is the step of faith that Jesus calls us to, exercising trust in who he is and realizing who we are without him. It requires us to recognize our own need for a savior. We are sinners who cannot save ourselves, no matter how hard we try or how good we are. Jesus reaches out to us, extends grace and forgiveness to us. At the cross, he exchanges the cost and penalty of our sinful life in him forever. We exercise trust to receive this gift from Jesus, to live every day in this truth 
And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into it, makes it alive to us, leads us to live in the reality of it. This kind of faith affects the way we live. A belief without trust is kind of sterile and powerless. That's not the kingdom life we've been called to here. It certainly isn't the life of Jesus that we read about in Mark. What unfolds in the rest of this chapter and the rest of this book is the kingdom breaking into the world as Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit speaks and acts. God's divine plan, the promised Messiah is right here, right now. It is true when Mark was writing this down, it is true for us today. God is not an indifferent spectator to human affairs. He steps right into the thick of it. And as he does, we see the kingdom in action. We see the heart of God, the authority and power of the Holy Spirit on display. Jesus demonstrates this incredible authority that he has as he calls four fishermen to follow him. They respond to this call in obedience, immediately leaving what they're doing and following Jesus. Their lives are changed forever in that step. Jesus heads into the synagogue and teaches with authority that people had never heard before. They were astonished at this teaching. While he was there, he delivers a man from an unclean spirit, demonstrating his authority over the powers of darkness. He cares about a sick mother-in-law and heals her. And that night, the whole town are gathered at Peter's house at his front door. And Jesus is there healing many who are sick, casting out many demons. The next morning he rises early and he retreats to pray. A beautiful picture of Jesus staying connected to his father and the Holy Spirit, the source of his authority and strength and power is there. He comes away from this time focused and ready again to continue in the mission and call. Let's go to more towns. Let's keep preaching. The chapter unfolding as the new beginning finishes with the leper coming to Jesus. Lepers who are cut off and ostracized and not allowed to practice their faith. They're unclean. People were afraid to even touch them, afraid to go near them. And this leper cries out to Jesus saying, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus hears the cry. Jesus sees the person. He's moved, stirred by the injustice before him, moved to compassion to reach out his hand and touch that leper. And as he does, he says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. What are the barriers and obstacles that you're holding on to, that you're facing today, that come before you receiving that power of Jesus, that 
are hindering you from coming into the fullness of kingdom life that God has for you. This morning, hear the Holy Spirit say, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is at hand, now is the time, repent and believe. There is not a single person Jesus won't meet this morning who cries out to him, won't stretch out his hand and touch this morning, responding to that cry. You know, I was soaking in this chapter and just these incredible stories of Jesus unfolding. I couldn't help but fast forward this story to the time where Jesus ascends to heaven and sends his Holy Spirit to come on each one of us who have repented and believed in him. We are anointed with this same spirit. We have the Holy Spirit here this morning, church. The Holy Spirit's presence, God's very presence is here with us. And we have been anointed with his people to continue this kingdom of God work, to continue to see it breaking into this world. I couldn't help but be drawn to that beautiful passage in Isaiah. This is for us this morning, church. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is upon us. Because the Lord has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. His favour is here. Mark shows us that this kingdom was inaugurated in Jesus but his spirit's work is continuing in this world. And we are part of it. The kingdom work isn't finished yet. We are the chapters that are yet to be written in the book of Mark. To see another generation repent and believe the good news of the gospel. To see another generation filled with the authority and power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming good news, seeing the power of God to forgive sins, delivering us from evil, setting people free, bringing healing and hope. What is the chapter gonna say about us? I just want you to sit in that for a moment. Bow your heads as the band comes back. Just sit. Just hear the Holy Spirit this morning. Hear what God says to you. What God is saying, what he's prompting your heart to this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to be open to your Spirit's work, open to receive what you have for us today, God. We long to see your kingdom come in this community, in this place, Lord. In this city, in this nation, in this world, God, pour out your Spirit. Open the heavens again, God. Fill us, your people, with your power, we ask in Jesus' name. Oh Lord, 
prompt our hearts to follow you, to answer your call, God. Thank you for your spirit with us. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your word that we read that fills us with faith this morning, that you are alive, that you are at work, that your kingdom is here. Oh Lord, we honor you and praise you. Soften our hearts to the work you're doing in us and around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to stand and worship. We are gonna worship now the King of Kings with all our hearts, church. And as we come to that verse that talks about the church being set on fire, that is God's word, God's plan for us this morning. Worship well.
shout of praise. This is the best news. This is the best news anyone could ever hear, that there is a King. Jesus said, I have all authority over heaven and earth. That's a truth, it's a reality. He's the one upon all thrones, like above everything, over sin, over death, everything. That's who we worship here today. That's who we can call out to today. We can speak to Him. And so let's pray. Let's give thanks for this and let's apply this truth into our own heart this morning. Lord Jesus, You did say it. It's incredible. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to You, Jesus. This is who You are, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. These are just not words. These are just not good ideas. This is the truth. And not only did You come, You died for us, Lord. You rose again, defeating death. But Lord, one day You will set up a new heaven, a new earth. You will reign forever. And Lord Jesus, You've invited us into that. We just wanna say thank You, Jesus. We wanna turn to You. We wanna come under Your authority today. Anything out of that authority, help us bring it into line. Help us confess our sin. Let's come in line with You. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for the life that You give. And Lord Jesus, there's something within me this morning. Lord, for us who know You as King, Lord, we have a role to share this good news for others to know the fullness of Your Kingdom. You didn't just come for us, You came for the world, that the world would know that You are a King who is broken in. You're a King that gives new beginnings, new life, Lord God, eternal life. And so Lord, use us as a church, we pray. Use us in this call. And Father God, thank You for all that You are, all that You've done. We praise You and thank You in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. How about a shout of praise just to finish? Amen. How good is He? He's amazing. He's amazing. Please take a seat. It's been so good uh, to worship this morning. Just a reminder, uh, the books, Jonathan Clark's book, also Ian Malin's books are out and available there. Thank you for joining us online. We love having you with us. Uh, be blessed and we'll see you back here next week. Anzac Day Sunday. Thank you.